You know, before we go any further, I think it's really pertinent to address current events. And that's to say that if you find yourself in agreement with people who are saying that there's cis woman erasure, that trans women are out to get us, just understand this. I hope you die. Yeah, TikTok um, got really mad at me. Someone may or may not be allowed to post right now because I said that, but this is my podcast. I can say whatever I want, so fuck you. I sincerely hope you stop existing. This has never, will never be a platform where I encourage any sort of trans panic, transphobia, homophobia, any bigotry of any kind, but it's important to point that out because I'm watching people that I respected and trusted in real time fall into this bullshit rhetoric. And I could try to convince you under the guise of, you know, Black women were once not included in the very narrow white supremacist binary definition of femininity. But truly, I think empathizing and standing as allies with trans people really comes down to empathy. I was maybe 12 or 13 the first time that I saw RuPaul's Drag Race. This is back when it was on Netflix. And I remember Carmen Carrera in her reunion season came out um, about her transition. And I had never before been exposed to trans people. I'd only heard whispers about what transness was and it was in very derogatory terms at family reunions. But watching her sit up there and cry about how her soul didn't match her body, I literally remember pausing and thinking, what would it be like if I was a boy? And I felt this deep sense of disgust. And I was like, oh, wow, that would be really fucked up. And then from there, it's a very logical progression. You know that someone is suffering so much internally because of this fight with biology, not matching who they are at their core, and then you decide to be a rancid cunt and make their life harder legislatively, socially, culturally, like, fuck you. You're the scum of the earth. And I feel like it's important in cultural moments like this to really be blunt about it, to like stand on your principles. I don't want you here. I don't want you anywhere. You are the threat to the existence of very cool and funny and kind people who are more deserving of the graces that you get effortlessly just because of bioessentialism. Fall into a hole and rot. With that being said, let's get into today's episode. You know what? I do feel like things have been a little dark lately, so welcome back to a much lighter episode of the One Take Wonder podcast with the hot weird girl. I'm the hot weird girl in question, Alexia. You can find me on every social media platform that's Twitter or whatever Twitter is going by, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube at hot weird girl. That's girl with a zero instead of an I. And like I said, as much as I love talking about serious topics and dissecting them with you, I'm also a very firm believer in balance because how do I put this politely? When you think about things too deeply all the time, it can prevent you from having fun. And there's as much merit in lighthearted topics as there is in discussing the more serious. And considering considering that the past four weeks have discussed like domestic violence, sexual assault, child pornography, um, depressing statistics on heteronormativity. I was like, hey, 
let's brighten it up over here. It's not always doom and gloom. I'm a person who's a lot of fun. Actually, I am fun at parties and I'm beginning like sometimes if I didn't know me in real life and I only knew me on social media, I would think I was scaring the hose so badly. Like, like I would just think you're the kind of bitch you come in a corner and you're like, are you enjoying the party? And you're like, how can I enjoy the party? The geopolitical system in Webzy Webzy has depressed me. Like, whoa. Duality. So we'll resume what is inevitably next week probably going to be something equally as damp and depressing. But this week, God damn it, we're going to have fun. And it's a good time to have fun because I'm not in the right frame of mind right now, guys. I'm going to be honest. I'm standing on the precipice of the psychological microwave. Like, the door is still open. I can leave at any time, but I'm flirting with it. Okay, you want to know why? Why does taking down your braids feel like a cosmic punishment? Like, is God mad at me for being so hot and having such good hair? Because that's what it feels like. Taking 75 braids out your head in the span of two and a half hours, mind you, which like that's record time for me because last summer I just chopped my braids off. In the process, I also accidentally gave myself a haircut. In my defense, this time last year I was studying for the bar exam. So like I was a little wonked out. But... Like, was I meant to suffer? Was I meant to hold my hands above my head? No. The universe knew what they were doing putting me in 1997 because I was explaining this to my friends the other day. But, like, truly, if I had been born in a different time period, I never would have made it to the age of 15. If it wasn't my health problems that were going to take me out, it would have been me taking me out. There are just certain conditions that I cannot survive under let it alone thrive. And quite frankly, one of those conditions is not having percal sheets or linen. So like you can only imagine the historical woes that I just would not have made it through. That being said, what a special episode for us all because it's another psychological microwave, psychological prism sort of rant episode. Sometimes I have serious things to say and sometimes I don't. And today might be one of those times, but today is one of those times where the sound on this podcast is crisp. Um, my new studio equipment is coming in, but in the meantime, I wish you guys could get a visual because I'm sitting in my bedroom on the floor and there's a blanket over my head because the new apartment that we moved into, the sound bounces off the walls really easily. So until my acoustic foam gets here, this is my makeshift studio and it I don't know. It feels like we're here together in this like intimate sleepover space. Like we're going to tell each other some secrets. So let's tell each other some secrets. And my secret today is I really hate the financial gurus. First of all, what in the actual fuck makes a person sit down and go, I need to be financially transparent with strangers on the internet. Like, I do not understand people who are like, I make $75,000 in a year. This is how I budget. And I just want to be fully transparent with you guys. Girl, someone's going to rob you. Like, I would never comment this on someone's video because there are nefarious and evil characters out there. But there are certain creators where I can see the skyline in their background 
which means that I can approximate where they are in their city. And then because that they've done the whole like apartment tour and layout, which one thing about me, but I try my fucking hardest on TikTok to only upload videos from one little barren corner of my apartment because I'm terrified that someone's going to figure out like which complex I'm in. And I know people that that's happened to. But then putting your financial information and then your last name is on there so I know what job you work at, so I know which building you report to or which building you have to be close to for hybrid work. And then you tell me your daily routine and your schedule and you tell me how much is in your savings. Like You do not fear that someone's going to come up and punch you in the face and take all of your savings. And I don't mean that in some sort of true crime brainwash way because if we, if you're not acquainted with my views on true crime, um, I, I think that it's like, one, it's trauma porn for white women. But two, it's not a coincidence to me that all of them, and this is a trigger warning, but the stories that tend to get the most popular are stories that involve graphic sexual violence because there is this titillation that people feel, even if it's not necessarily sexual, off of hearing these graphic and sexually violating details. And in that Carly Russell case, which yes, that bitch totally lied. And I will get into Dick Dizzy Dora Hose in about five minutes. But I still think what I said stands true, which is People were foaming at the mouth when she returned to hear these really salacious, sexually violent, gory details because people feel entitled to that. And part of that is the culture that true crime built. And I'm not just talking about podcasts. The legacy of true crime dates all the way back to, I want to say, the mid-century. I cannot remember off the top of my head when in true when In Cold Blood by Truman Capote was published. But if you're unaware, it's what I would, or it's what I believe really fathered this salacious true crime drama. Not that humans haven't always been fascinated by human evil throughout the millennia, but Truman Capote wrote um, a very fictionalized, sensationalized account of these murders that took place in a small town in Kansas called Holcomb. And it was about the murder of this family by two con artists I think it was the 30s because there was very like depression era, depression coded, and they were well regarded, um, like Christian farmers who were found slaughtered, hogtied. They all led very horrible deaths, but the account was very sympathetic to one of the murderers and then sensationalized their death, fictionalized it, and ultimately made this town, this very small, tiny Kansas town that had already been rocked by the murders and that had lost upstanding members of their community by turning it into a tourist attraction in a way that still affects them negatively today and in a way that the citizens are still very incredibly angry about. Oh, you know what? That would be a really good content episode. We're going to come back to that in more of a long form. But today, today's for the rats, darling. So people get off on hearing these sexually violent details. Okay, so I just wanted to separate myself. That Like, I'm not afraid that someone's going to come up and punch me in the face because I listen to too much true crime. And I also can't listen to too much true crime because I have very weird nightmares. Like last year, not last year. Y'all, I'm so tired. I've been taking out my braids all night. (sighs) 
I have this like repetitive stress dream about going back to high school. I would love to know what it means, but at the same time, if you're really spiritual, don't tell me what it means because I'm also too scared to get my tarot written or read. Because what if I'm pregnant with the Antichrist? What what if someone tells me that? What do I do then? It would be a very terrifying experience for me. Where was I going with this? Oh yeah, my irritation with financial gurus. Right? Like, who do you owe transparency to? And I honestly don't even think it's a form of bragging because sometimes these people are just like straight up broke. But that sort of leads me into this whole lifestyle inflation. I want you to listen to this TikTok, which is just infuriatingly stupid. And then we're going to talk about it. But you need to hear this girl's voice and just like the seriousness in which she says the most ridiculous thing. No, actually, I'm not going to subject you to that. I just listened to the video again. Basically, she says that $100,000 in the United States is not enough to support yourself in most American cities. There is nothing more that I hate than this rhetoric because it's not true. Yes, in places like San Francisco or you know, places where the industry is so highly saturated with high earners that it makes it almost impossible for working class or lower, like lower side of the upper middle class spectrum. That's such a horribly way to put it. But like people who can afford to go to Disney World, but maybe not every year, that kind of class of people to survive in. Yeah, 100000 isn't enough. But in most places, $100,000 is enough. And there's this very uncomfortable feeling that I get when I see people touting $100,000 as the new $62,000 because in reality what you're paying for is the lifestyle creep. And I say this as someone who's like a white collar professional. I just, I can't tell you how many of my peers burn our money. Like, I think what a lot of people are angry about is $100,000 seems like a really big number, but it's not like, fuck you, buy a Bugatti money, right? It's not a sales associate at a designer store needs to have your number in their phone and you don't need to be on a first name basis with them because realistically, like, there's only so many designer purses and designer bags that you could afford on an $100,000 salary and still live within your means. And the emphasis on living within your means. And the thing that I find so frustrating about this like TikTok financial advice is it's just really skewed for this like yuppie crowd who are so ignorant of how fortunate we are. Being able to know that you'll make your rent for the next 12 months, being able to say that you can purchase organic food, even though organic is just a marketing term and there's literally no difference. By the way, like don't pay extra at Whole Foods for that. Even the fact that you can regularly go into Whole Foods or whatever your area has as the whole paycheck sort of grocery store in itself is a huge privilege. And so there's something that grates me so much knowing that so many people are economically struggling. And then you have this like small percentage of yuppies being like, God, I I can't make it work on my $100,000. You totally can make it work on $100,000. Nobody told you to go ball out on a $10,000 vacation to Mykonos. You could have just stayed 
in a normal hotel, okay? You, you're not at, like, resort money in Saint-Tropez. It, it's just weird. And honestly, like, there's very few times where I feel like getting violent, and this isn't one of them. But, you know, I would like to trip these people, and I think it'd be funny if they fell. And another secret I want to get off of my chest is I think submission is appealing to people because having a boyfriend is a substitute for developing an actual personality. And I'm not saying this to be a hater to people with boyfriends. I have a boyfriend. I love him so much. But I'm also correct as fuck. Like some people, some women, instead of actually developing into their womanhood and like low-key... I think I've done this. I think I know other people who've done this. So like, yes, I'll tee all shade, but just just walk with me here. I think some people, instead of doing the work for inner development and finding out what their hobbies and their interests are and cultivating themselves as an interesting person, realize that for women in our society, you don't have to do any of those things as long as you get a boyfriend, especially if he turns into your husband, because then you can just be a secondary player in his life and by extension, take on all of his friends, hobbies, likes, and interests in a way that means you never actually have to think about yours. And I'm going to be real. It's always when you don't have something going on and you're not sure where you're going next in life that you're like, oh, I'll just get a boyfriend. And then boom, like you don't have to think about what you're doing on Sundays because you know that he's going to invite his boys over to watch the game and you can just feel like semi-comfortable serving them snacks. And maybe it's not what you would be doing, but then you actually don't know what you would be doing in the first place. And this is just kind of something to do. And that's also how I feel about this whole like, like, you know how there's this thing on social media where people are being like, oh my God, 30 is kind of old. Which 30 is not old in the slightest. But it's always coming from like 19 year olds and the most appealing thing about them is the fact that they're 19 and naive to the ways of, you know, predators who want to take advantage of that. Sometimes I've noticed they do this thing where they try to grow up fast and they try to have babies because if you think that relationships, patriarchal, heterosexual relationships are a way to escape an actual self-development, just assuming the label of mom when you have nothing else going on. Um, yeah, because then you have a built-in identity and it's an identity that's socially rewarded. Not actually, because this is still an extremely difficult and hostile landscape landscape to navigate motherhood in when there's no federal protections for, you know, maternity leave or protection of your full salary. But just this whole, like, you got this mama, like, mama, you're joining you know, the noblest of soldiers, which motherhood absolutely is a wonderful and ideal pursuit. But sometimes taking on these socially prescribed labels is an escape. It's why I think submission is so appealing to so many people, because then you're just saying the quiet part out loud that like, oh, I never have to think about anything And truly in this day and age, like, what is submission? I'm convinced it's when you and your boyfriend are deciding, like, where should we go to eat tonight? And he's like, babe, I said we're going to get Italian. Like, he's not Google Maps. Where is he taking you that you can't get yourself? Like, we're not hunter-gatherers, which also, fun fact, like, 
that's really a myth. We mostly relied on gatherers and also it wasn't really broken up by like a gender division. It was actually more of equity and labor and the fact that everyone was pitching in for our survival. You know, anthropology is so fun like that. But this whole submission thing, like you're just basically saying a bunch of shit to make his ego feel better, which is like fun and cool, I guess. But then you wake up and you're like 50 and you've got no real sense of self. These are all life lessons I absorbed at a very young age from Desperate Housewives. I think it's freaky and weird when people describe their life in corporate terms. Like, what the fuck is a closing shift? Oh, it's it's cleaning at night. It's the closing shift. I'm soft launching my boy. First of all, maybe this is just because I got on Instagram again for the first like three years, but genuinely, who gives a fuck? And then also this like coy, oh, I'm not going to let you know who my man is. If I was just two shades more vindictive, I would be the type to literally go through, find that man based off of his handprint, and then make him leave that happy home. (laughs) And that sounds very vicious, but like, it almost feels like you're inviting people to do that. Like the whole like, I'm not going to show my man's face. You're never going to find out what my man looks like, blah, 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 blah. Is he a slut? Is he a whore? Is he so easily swayed by other women's feminine charm that you think posting a picture of his face might betwixt another woman to come hither? I'm th- I'm throwing a lot around a lot of Shakespearean words and none of it's making sense. Again, we're flirting with the psychological microwave, okay? I think honestly, just to go to bed, I'm going to tuck myself in there and then go in the gamma rays. It's not a sound that people who aren't in the microwave make, but like you want me to DM him. You want me to be a bad person. You want me to ruin your happy home because if you, if you thought he was secure in y'all's relationship, you wouldn't be saying that. Another thing that I think about often is, have you noticed that white people get really mad when other white people get married and talk about their weddings? I say white people because there's this one specific joke and I only see white people talk about it and it's brides six months after their wedding and then the meme is like, they're still posting pictures of their wedding. Weddings are so goddamn expensive. Plus, you really only wear a bridal gown once. Like when my best friend Julia came into town, I was like, when's the last time you wore your dress? She's like, I haven't worn it since I got married in September. I was like, okay, well that dress was not cheap. You better put that shit on to go sit in the house, get dressed up one day, sit on the couch like this. Hey babe, does this look familiar? Cause me, when I get married, perhaps sometime in the next couple of years, um, I'm going to keep that shit on. And I will continue to post pictures. And I've noticed that only white people get mad about stuff like that. I don't know why. Well, just to take a random stab at it, I think it's because there's so much emphasis placed on marriage within that particular culture that it's a status symbol. Not just like a status symbol. That's a little too obvious. But the status symbol of marriage because becomes something that something covets. And as I've said so many times like in our culture one of the only ways to socially express jealousy is through snark and making fun like you can tell whenever people are really jealous whenever they start poking fun at things for example whenever 
people on Twitter will steal TikTok videos of some young pretty girl having fun on the weekends. And they're like, well, I wouldn't want to be out at a bar. Like who even knows 20 people? People with happy lives do. And you don't have that. And instead of saying, wow, this video made me feel lonely and all sorts of things, you make up these insane lies that you can feel morally superior because if there's one thing our culture loves to do with miserable people, it's pedestalize this misery as some sort of sign of intellect. Like everyone has Rick Sanchez syndrome where they think that they're the smartest person on earth and they're suffering because they're the smartest person on earth. And it's like, you're suffering because you're disagreeable and nobody wants to be around you. And nobody wants to be around you because you look at other happy people and you're like, fuck them. I'm actually better for being smarter and hotter. Like, you know, that one scene in Booksmart where Bernie Feldstein's character runs around and realizes that she's the only one that cared about school and made it her entire life and that everyone else was also as academically talented but she was the only one that made that her hardcore part of the identity to me that's the part about like like other people do not platform this smug sense of loneliness as their personality normal well-adjusted people try to fix their loneliness by making friends you know And like my last secret for now, and I have many secrets, they're all stored up in the vault of you need to learn how to say that politer. Um, But something that I can release now is I hate the snobby butler. Like, you know how in movies, there's like the butler character and he works for the rich family and he's very snobby, but it's like, clearly you're not rich because you're the fucking butler. Also, if they were paying you a decent wage, like you wouldn't have been a butler for 40 years. You would have I I don't know, like at this point, if they were paying you a fraction of what they're laundering from their respective government, like you wouldn't have to work at all. You could probably get your own butler. But I feel that way in real life whenever people try to make like rich people content, particularly this like, you know, I've spent a lot of time with elites. Here's what they do. Yeah, you're still like a snobby butler. Like you're not actually part of them, but somehow you think you're better than us because you're around them. What do you think their rich people smell rubs off on you like that's like the maids in succession which i'm so obsessed with right now i'm on season two episode four can you hear matthew screaming in the background there's something wrong with this ridiculous with this obese animal first of all he sleeps on my silk pillowcases like he kicks me off of them and then puts his head on there and then gets under the covers like he works two blue collar jobs back to back like he's providing for a litter of seven mind you all he does is lay around the house and listen to Gwen Stefani because that's his favorite artist and he screams until I put Gwen Stefani on but occasionally listens to Judy Garland Summer of the Rainbow Anyway, the snobby butler thing is just like, you will never have access to the paradigms of wealth. You've just been shown a peek behind the curtain and now you think you're better than the rest of us. And again, those are people that I would make trip and fall. If you've made it to the end of the episode, um, let me know what you think. I love when you guys reach out to me. Let me know if you want more lighthearted style episodes or if you're like, nah, this can be a one-off thing. Like stick to the serious topic, bitch. No offense taken. Um, again, you can reach me on every social media platform at hot weird girl. And I really love hearing from you guys. And I really love hearing about your ideas. And next week, I really want to delve into this idea of who does joy belong to? 
more specifically why exclusivity is not only prominent in club culture like we talked about a few months ago, but also in this idea of who is truly accessing fun and why isn't fun a communal resource that we all feel like we have access to. And we'll be discussing one of my favorite Atlantic articles. So please stay tuned for that episode. Love ya.